Hey, good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages two years old through second grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. There are some folks here who have kids that I've never seen before, so we're delighted you are here. And if you have kids in that age range, you want them to go to a really great program we have, we'll encourage you to go in that direction with your kids. The rest of you, take your Bibles, and let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 all the way through 41. It's a long section, so be turning your Bibles there. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of a, a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is the offering that we bring every week faithfully to God. This is an expression of worship to God, and we make it possible for you to, to worship God and honor Him in these four, through four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. That's easy to set up with your bank. You can go online to our website, front page. It says give and just click the button. Or if you're here in person, you can drop off your contribution at the box there in the middle of the auditorium on your way out. And if you're not here in person, but you're with us live streaming, we are absolutely just humbled and honored that in all that you're doing today, you're stopping to be with us. Um, Gene and Caroline Cosby and um, Skyler, uh, we know you can't be here today. It just means the world to us that you were here. Big shout out to Roberta in Killalay, Northern Ireland, and to some of our family that are also in the Czech Republic and other places as well. Let's have a prayer for our offering, and then let's jump into our passage today. Father, we don't just want to make a quick, short, here's how you give statement and be done with it. We want to offer up a prayer to you to express to you that this is an act of worship. And Father, there's so much that you give to us, that you have given to us, so much that you're doing that it's almost just a regular part of our daily lives that we take for granted when it's only happening because you're making it happen. And you're not just giving us what we need, but you're just so richly blessing us. And so we have this, as you've called us to in Scripture, this expression of worship, our offering. We bring it to you today in various forms as I announced and Father, what we have to give compared to the need in this world is just so small. But we thank you and trust and believe that you can take what we are and what we have and what we give to you today and use it to multiply it to meet the needs for your kingdom purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have good memories, it was on the first Sunday of this year that I didn't preach and our Eastside Shepherds led the whole Sunday service and they shared with us a vision for 2024 which is really under the larger mission of our church that Jesus has given us which is to make disciples of all nations. And as you saw on the cards that were handed out to you at the beginning uh, of this service and, and we still have some available on the tables the, the, the vision under this make disciples of all nations for this year that the elders chose is, is basically the, th the theme of growth in three different areas inward upward in the sense of we want all of us to grow in our relationship with God inward we want all of us to grow in our inward relationships within the body of Christ and outward we want all of us to grow in our outreach and sharing Jesus and the gospel with those who do not know him and so today we are continuing actually doing a four week series it's all focused on this outward aspect of growth this outward aspect of us being a people who are just devoted 
We are obsessed, we are compelled to take the mission to, of the gospel of Jesus to others. And so we were reminded in the first lesson in the series in 1 Corinthians 15, that of, of first importance. At the, at the heart, we can go to the next slide, at, at the heart of the gospel or at the core. Hopefully you remember the core of the gospel now through the story I shared with you. That the very core of the gospel, the very core of our Christian faith, it is the message of Jesus Christ and our mission as followers of Jesus to share the gospel with others who do not know Jesus that they may be saved. But saying that intimidates us. I get that. Most of us don't get excited about evangelizing. And that's why we looked at last week the passage in the book of Acts, it sets the stage for what we're going to read today that this is not something that we do, but it's what He does in us and through us by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit as we do two things. We talked about that last week, as we pray and obey. As we are a church, as we saw in Acts chapter 2 in the early church in chapter 1, that we're fervently devoted to prayer and is in this place of prayer all throughout the book of Acts when God's people are praying, it is engaging the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment of the Holy Spirit engaging in the disciples' lives that they stood out, they stepped out in obedience to his calling. And so that's really the stage that is set here in Acts chapter 2. They have fervently been praying. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit came upon them in power in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2 and verse 4, it says they began to speak. That takes courage to step up and speak. And they spoke as they were given words by the Holy Spirit. And here we find in the words that they spoke, the message of the gospel that we're called to share. And at the end of this story, listen, this was an incredible story. Some 3,000 people were touched by the power of the gospel and were baptized into Christ. And so this passage is helpful for us in two ways. First of all, for those of us that are here that are believers this morning, this is a passage to equip us. It's basically, you go to Acts chapter 2, there's an outline here. It shows us what to say because I, uh, uh, an obstacle for many of us, man, I know I'm supposed to be sharing my faith, but I just don't know what to say. You can't say that after today because this is simply the passage. You just open your Bible and you follow the simple outline. And so this, the purpose of this lesson today is to equip us with the message of the gospel to share with others. But also, secondly, this lesson serves for the purpose to speak to those of you who are here in person or those of you that are with us on live, online through live streaming. Those of you who've never taken the obedient step of faith to be baptized into Christ and you've been wondering... Man, I just don't know if I'm ready. Man, I just don't know. I wonder, what am I supposed to know? What am I supposed to understand? This is it. What these people heard was sufficient for them to be baptized into Christ. And if it was good enough for them, it, was, it is certainly good enough for you. So, let's listen carefully, all of us. But I want you to notice this morning... Is, and I have John here to give me a break for some of the readings. We have a lot of scripture reading that we're going to have this morning. And that is because our confidence and our trust is not in my skill or my eloquence, which is desperately lacking. When you're sharing your faith, you make sure the Word of God is central. 
There's something different about what you have to say compared to what God has to say. There's something powerful about the gospel message simply shared. And so what we're going to do this morning in order to help you remember this outline, we're going to, I've divided this, this, this reading up into three sections, into three questions that this passage helps us to answer. Question number one, who is Jesus? Question number two, what did he do? Question number three, well, what does it mean? For me personally, for me personally, when I ask the question, who is Jesus? That's where we're going to start. That's huge. It was and still is for me in bringing me to faith because I discovered that Christianity is not a religion that I'm taught and follow, but it's a person I come to know and I come to love and devote my life to and following. And so if I'm going to devote my life, like if I'm going to get married to someone, if I'm going to devote my life, then it's really important to ask, well, who is it? Who exactly is Jesus? So that's the first question that is answered. Let's jump into the text and let the passage answer it for us as we read from verses 14 all the way to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered to, through the prophet Joel. And in the last day shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? With this passage, connecting the story of Jesus to the Old Testament, and specifically to the Old Testament prophet Joel as he is predicting the coming of the Messiah in this, in this very moment. We learn, first of all, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament history and prophecy. Now, that doesn't sound very like spine tingling, but let me explain to you why that is so significant to me. If someone comes to my door and knocks on the door, and I have them come all the time, Someone comes to my house and knocks on the door and says, Hi, I'm the Son of God. Sell everything and follow me. Uh, okay. No. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen like that. I need some credentials. 
In order for me to open up the door of my home to anyone, in order for me especially to open up the door of my life to anyone, I need proof to verify that they really are who they say they are. And so who is this guy, Jesus, that just showed up proclaiming to be the Son of God? He is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament were pointing to. That's where this Old Testament story comes in. That's why the first half of the Bible, part one, the story of Jesus, that's where it comes in. When you read the whole Old Testament, there's a lot of stories in there, but there's one main theme. It's God working through history to bring Christ. And, and it's all these prophets were prophesying in pinpoint accuracy to the coming of this man, Jesus, in the first century, proving this is legit. This guy really is who others say he is and who he himself says he is. This is the first half of the Bible. You get intimidated. You look at the Old Testament. It's really thick. What's the purpose of that? This is the first half of the story of Jesus. And it could be summed up like this. I'm going to tell you the whole Old Testament. Listen, in 10 seconds. The whole story of the Old Testament in 10 seconds or less. I think it will be. Here it is. God created mankind and all was good. But man said, no, I can do better than that. And so man took what God created and he did his own thing his own way. That is sin. And he broke what God had given them. And God should have said, that's it. I'm done with you all. But instead of being done with us, he loves us so much that he began to work through history to bring Christ into the world to fix what we broke. All as was prophesied by the prophets. That's the story of the Old Testament summarized in this one word or two words, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And so when I open the door to my life and I place my life and my faith in Jesus, it's not like saying, well, okay, you. No, this is the person to whom all of history was leading up to. Who is Christ? Secondly, let's read verse 33. 22, my bad. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man sent to you by God with mighty works and wonders and, the, and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Who is Jesus? Number two, you see two non-negotiable things about faith. When I say non-negotiable, it's not like take it or leave it. You got to take it if you want to follow Jesus. It's two things. is that Jesus is both man and God. That is foundational to the Christian faith. In verse 22, we see that he was a man from Nazareth. That's huge to me. Because when I place my faith in Christ, it's not like Zeus or Apollos who lives on some cloudy place called Olympus. This is a real person, historical figure, who lived in a real place. We can travel to Nazareth. We can see it today, who lived in a real place in time. There are countless pieces of historical and archaeological evidence that prove the undeniable fact. This is, ser- this is for real. This guy, Jesus, really lived. That's huge for me. I tell you one reason why that means a lot to me is because did you see the um, the Super Bowl commercial? It was probably the best that I saw. It's the one where they showed examples of I guess it was examples of Jesus. I just remember the point at the end. It said that He gets us as a man. He gets us. 
Well, that is so important that with, with the gospel message that God is not this God who stayed in a palace in some faraway place called heaven, but he is God who came to this earth, he lived in a body as a human, and he went through and experienced what we as human individuals go through and experience in all the good and in all the bad. He gets us. But there's more. He says here in verse 22, he speaks of these miracles and these wonders and these signs that point to the fact there's something different about this guy than anyone else. These miracles and wonders are signs pointing to the fact that this is not just man, but this is God who became man. And so you see this as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his raising people from the dead, healing the blind, healing the lame, walking on the water, and so much more. You're seeing that, and you're going, okay, I get the fact that he's real. I can feel him. I can touch him. I can hear him. But nobody walks on water. Nobody raises people from the dead. That's because this is not just a man who lived in Nazareth. This is God who became man. He gets us. But I need more than somebody to get me. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to change me. I need somebody to save me. That's God who became man. That's who Jesus is. And then as the message continues, we see the answer to the next question. What did he do? Let's move into that in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men we answered the question who is Jesus the second part of the gospel answers the question well what did he do now we've heard this again and again so much so much so that it, it loses impact it's kind of like just a religious cliche the first thing that says here that Jesus did is Jesus died on the cross for our sins what does that mean? Well, if you, if you look at the larger context of the Bible story, as I mentioned earlier, God created us and God gave us life and all was good. But in our stubbornness, in our defiance, in our rebellion, we thought, I, I can do better than that. And we stepped out, we did our own thing, which is called sin and disobedience. And if all of us were honest, we would all admit We all have sinned. We all sin. So here's the problem. God is holy. God is righteous. God cannot just say, oh, it's okay. No. Our sin is so egregious. Our sin is so severe that God cannot turn a blind eye to our sin. God must bring about punishment for our sin and so the Bible tells us the punishment for sin is just as severe as sin itself it is eternal death and separation from God and so that adds to God's dilemma God's holiness and righteousness demands punishment but God's love for us is thinking I can't bear that because of his love for us he can't bear the thought of us being forever separated from him an eternal death. And so God came to this earth and though He never sinned, He never did anything wrong. He took our place in death. God did. God did this. He took our punishment 
so that we could be forgiven and be with him forever. That blows my mind that God did this for me because that's how much he loves us. But it doesn't end there. What did he do? Let's keep reading. Verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corporation. You have, been, you have made known to, the, to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say, you have, you, you with confidence about the, about David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to, to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God ha, has had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he, w- that he was not abandoned to Hades or did, or did his fleshy corporation. This is Jesus, raised up and of we, and of we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has into heaven, He has poured out, poured out to this. That's good. We'll stop there. Verse thirty-two. God has raised. Verse thirty-two. This Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. That's a long reading, but it's basically telling us one thing: Jesus died on the cross. He was buried, and as John just read, he rose from the dead. And if you're listening to that or hearing that for the first time, that's a stretch. I get that because we don't see that happening. Oh, he rose from the dead. Well, of course, people do that all the time. No, that doesn't. But here's the thing. As John just read, and it was a long reading, but I wanted you to see the prophecies that were involved in that. Everything that happened with Jesus, even his resurrection, was foretold in detailed accuracy and played out exactly as was foretold hundreds of years. And you stack before, and you stack on top of that, you've got eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive after he had been killed. And these aren't just one or two people that are drunk or a person that's hallucinating. This is a large number of people who bore witness to the fact that they saw Jesus alive in his resurrection. We, in our court of law, we determine whether somebody in some states is going to be executed or not. We determine whether somebody's going to go to prison or not. We determine whether or not something is true or not based upon eyewitness testimony. The truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands upon countless witnesses, eyewitnesses, too many to ignore. And if you look at the greater story, you see that so many, the majority of these eyewitnesses died because of their belief in the resurrection. Why would they have done that for a lie they would have created? 
When you look at the facts surrounding the resurrection, it's impossible to reach any other conclusion than Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Why does that matter? It matters in two ways. First of all, it is all these miracles and signs that tell us that Jesus is God who became man. The resurrection is the greatest proof that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God. But there's more than that. His victory over death, His resurrection also gives us hope of life after death of the resurrection. As many of you know, I had a cancer diagnosis and it brought me to an awakening of a, wait a minute, I am mortal. One of these days I'm going to die. But there's something incredible that gives me a peace because of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. I have hope. I have hope that there's something more than this life has to offer. I need that. We all need that. That has been given to us by the resurrection. What did he do? There's one final thing, this message that often gets left out of the gospel message. It's in verses 33 through 35. Let's keep reading. For David did not ascend into heaven. No, let's start in verse 33. My bad. I was giving you bad instruction. That's not your fault. Okay. Uh, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God... And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What did he do? What John just read tells us he ascended to heaven. And we don't use that word very often, ascended. It basically means He went to heaven. We see that in Acts chapter 1 after his resurrection, after his appearances to multiple eyewitnesses. Why is that important? Why does that matter? It tells me that this story that I'm telling you, we're talking about is not just this real person who lived many years ago and did some really great things and had some really great lessons that he taught. He died and now we're just remembering him today. No, he is alive today at the right hand of the Father as John wrote. And he is alive today as John read through the Holy Spirit among us that he poured out here upon this earth. That's who Jesus is. That's what he did. The question is, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? Let's keep reading. Verses 36 to the end. Let all the house of Israel therefore known, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And within and with many other word, other words he bore witnesses and continued to say to them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. We've answered the question, who is Jesus? We've walked through the outline, and we've answered the question, what did he do? But the really 
applicable question now is, what does it mean? And it means a lot from what John just read. First of all, we read that it means that he is both Lord and Christ. Some of your translations say he is both Lord and Messiah. But I want you to understand it doesn't say he is Lord or Christ. You choose. And that's really important to me because there was a a time in my life when I didn't want to die and go to hell. And so I said, I want Jesus as my Savior, but I don't want Him as Lord. I didn't want Him as Lord because I wanted to be the Lord of my own life. I wanted to do my things my way. But then I began to realize, as the Lord of my life, that my way was very self-destructive. It was killing me. And that being a Christian is not, and this was, this was my false understanding. If you want to be a Christian, you got to do what God says in order to go to heaven because He is Lord. It's not like that. He is my creator. He knows better than I do what's best for my life. By following Him as Lord, I'm following the life that is best for me, that is given to me by my creator. I must confess Jesus as my Lord. And if that's going to happen, then secondly, what does it mean? As it's written here, it says, it means I must repent. They asked the question. They were cut to the heart. What do we do? And Peter says, you must repent. And repent is not a word we hear much on the street. It basically means there needs to be a change in your life. You just can't keep on going and living. And this is what I did when I was younger. I took Jesus as my Savior, but there was no change No, there needs to be a change in my heart that leads to a change in my life. And it doesn't mean that I become perfect by the way that I live, but it means I get up every morning and I make a decision today with all of my heart, I'm going to live my life following Jesus. What does it mean? He is both Lord and Christ. What does it mean? I must repent. What does it mean? He goes on to say, repent and be baptized. And that's kind of odd for those of us that may be hearing it for the first time. When you understand that baptism means immersion into water, why would God say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down underwater and come back up. That seems kind of odd until you see it in the context of the gospel. Baptism is a response to what Jesus did. As Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected, when, when I am baptized, I go down in the water, I die to myself, I'm buried in the water, I, I'm buried to self, and I rise up as Christ rose from the dead to live a new life. I'm connecting to, it's not what I do to be saved, but it's my obedient step of faith to connect with what Jesus did for me. What does it mean? It means... As John read in verse 38, all of my sins are forgiven. Not most of them. Not some of them. All of them. And that's hard to to imagine. When I think about all the horrible thoughts that I've had, and I'm embarrassed for you to know the horrible thoughts, sinful thoughts that I've had. When I think of all the horrible, sinful things that I have said, Some of you know them. You've heard them. When I think of all the horrible, sinful things that I have done, and to imagine that God in a moment is going to forgive me, He's going to erase that, that I stand before God pure and holy and clean. I stand before Him forgiven. I stand before Him without guilt or without shame. That's incredible. 
But here's what there's more to the story. Not only does he forgive me of my sins, but here is written, because I got this problem, even though I'm forgiven of my sins, I have this still struggle with my sinful nature. And so it says it means that he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is his presence in my life, guiding me, leading me, and changing me. And helping me to live a life and be a person I could never be on my own. What does it mean? With the words there, the final words there, added to their number that day. Those that were baptized were added to their number that day. It means he gives me you all. He gives me a family. He gives me the church to help me, to support me in my life of following Jesus. It means I don't have to, and I should not attempt to do this alone. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it alone. He knows that. What does it mean? As this passage closes with the words, listen to these words. It says, he pleaded with them. He's not saying, all right, there you go. Y'all have a good day. Nice Sunday sermon. He's begging them. He's pleading with them. He's saying, save yourselves. That's the text. Save yourselves. And those who believed and accepted his message were baptized that day. It's almost as though I'm on the lifeboat. You're on the Titanic. And I'm saying, here's a way for you to be saved from drowning in the ocean. And you hear what I have to say. And you say, Eddie, you say that so eloquently. I so appreciate what you had to say to me today. I'm going to go back to my room. I'm going to think about this. And I'm going to pray about it and consider it for another day. And this is Paul is saying, he's begging with them. He's pleading with them because this is, what does it mean? This is of first importance. Listen, there is nothing more important in your life than believing and accepting and obeying the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have heard today. And there is nothing more important in your life than sharing this message of Jesus Christ with others who don't know Him because it makes the difference in how we live our lives, not only on this earth, but it makes the difference in our lives in life after death, in heaven or hell, lost or saved for eternity. And so as we close, we ask the question, what does it mean? I ask the question, I really trust the Holy Spirit now to help you answer this. What does it mean for you? First of all, if if you've never been baptized into Christ, you just heard what these people heard in order for them to be baptized. If you believe this message of Jesus, and like these people, you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism. And if that is your desire, I want to encourage you I want to beg you. I want to plead with you today. In our time of the song at the prayer at the end or after the service, find someone and say, hey, I don't want to leave today without being baptized into Christ. What does it mean for you? It means if you're a follower of Jesus that you can't say, well, I just don't know what to say. Now you do. You've got the outline. And so as we learned that last week and as we connect it with this week, devote yourself to prayer and say, God, I'm open. 
lead me to someone. Lead someone to me. And as the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer, in that moment, be obedient to the guidance of the Spirit and with courage, speak the life-giving words of the story of Jesus, the gospel. Church, this is of first importance. Let's stand and continue as we go into prayer. Father, I ask now that in this time of prayer that you do what I can't do. I can't point my finger at each individual and say, it means this for you, it means this for you. I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in this moment after having been exposed once again to the powerful message of the gospel. Help us to see individually what it means for us and what you're calling us to do. We come to you in this time of prayer. In Jesus' name. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.